Hi, friends. You're tuned in to Legal Means Business, a podcast by Leeway. We are joined by some amazing guests who help us identify how to take your legal function and career to the next level. I'm your host, Steph Smith, and we're talking all things legal ops and legal tech, as well as other critical skills needed to help you thrive in the evolving in-house arena. Don't forget, you can watch us on YouTube or listen on the go through Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy the conversation, please do hit subscribe and let us know what you think on social. And then in my email, I have a like what I call a happy folder, um, which seems silly, but it's like I, I, I move it. over any emails that like, you know, was you did a great job on this or, you know, this went well and here's why. Or just notes from people that I have received or things that I've done that I'm really proud of. Um, mm. And then I found that sometimes when I'm feeling really down and like I can't do something or why am I here? I go back to that folder when I just need a friendly reminder that like mm-hmm. things were fine and things yep. are going to continue to be fine uh, no matter what my brain is trying to tell me otherwise. Whether you're moving to a new city, shifting from private practice to in-house, or it's your first experience in the world of legal altogether, it's likely that it's going to take some adjusting. Often, a new environment or new responsibilities can leave you feeling a little out of your depth. And this persistent inability to believe that your success is deserved or has been legitimately achieved thanks to your own efforts is called imposter syndrome. It's something that many, if not most of us, will experience in our lifetime. And learning to manage and respond to this feeling in a healthy way is critical to ensure we can continue to thrive. One person who is no stranger to imposter syndrome is Sarah Fukuhara. And Sarah is now Associate Corporate Counsel at fast-paced startup Glowforge. But after opening up about her imposter syndrome on LinkedIn, she experienced an overwhelming response of others who could relate. In this episode, Sarah walks us through her experience and how she's learning to thrive in spite of her imposter syndrome. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. How are you doing? I am doing great. Excited to be here. Yeah. Oh, well, it was, I was so delighted to, to have an introduction to you because obviously I saw um, one of your brilliant posts on LinkedIn um, and I know it, it resonated with a lot of people around maybe feeling a little bit out their depth and a little bit of um, imposter syndrome. So I'm looking forward to to exploring all of that with you today. So thank you for joining us. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you so much for the invite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I know your background's actually quite relevant to what we're what we're talking about today. So if you'd like to start off, it'd be great to to learn a little bit more about your background and about yourself, please. Yeah. Um so my name is Sarah Fukuhara. I am a first generation attorney in my family, which has been amazing. But I recently graduated from law school uh, just last year in May of 2021. I went to Gonzaga over in eastern Washington, but I'm actually from Honolulu, Hawaii, so a little bit far from home in that sense. Um mm-hmm. but it has been a whirlwind of an opportunity to start my legal career in-house, which is 
pretty unusual, uh, not something that people do right off the bat. But I have had mm. the honor and the privilege of working for Glowforge, a tech startup in Seattle. Um, so moved my way over to the west side of the state and get to mm. dabble in just a bunch of things because we're a fast-paced startup. So intellectual property, data privacy, employment and labor law, and contracts, to name a few, which I say that mm -hmm. to people and they're just like, so everything then. Um, yeah. And it kind of feels true <laughs> yeah. when I reflect on it. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, Leeway's a, a startup as well, so I certainly feel the kind of all-hands-on-deck approach um, in teams. So yeah, I'm with you there. <laughs> and what was it like when, so were you kind of born and raised in Honolulu and then moved over? Uh, I was. Uh, so I yeah. have the luxury of calling uh, Hawaii home, which I know is where people go to vacation. Um, but it was amazing growing up there, looking back on it. You know, I grew up in such a diverse place. And mm -hmm. I really got to know my culture and my family was just very rooted in being from Hawaii and being close to mm -hmm. kind of where the rest of our family is. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's been great, but it was definitely a culture shock to come yeah. to what we call the mainland, but I guess the continental United States um, mm -hmm. and realize that not everywhere is like Honolulu. Yeah, yeah. Again, I can I can res resonate a little. I'm I'm from Scotland originally, um, and now live um, based in Paris at the moment. So the the Scottish and British culture is a little bit different than the French culture. I would say maybe not quite so the beautiful sunshine to to the states and and Honolulu. But hey, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> and how how did you find that transition? It was it was tough, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I think can see the similarities from moving to Hawaii, from Hawaii to the mainland with starting mm -hmm. law school. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's often times where you're not going to see someone that looks like you. And I grew mm -hmm. up seeing people that look like me every day and then went to a school where not a lot of people look like me. I'm the first attorney in my family. So I see people in the legal industry and didn't see people that I could kind of identify with. And that mm -hmm. was hard. Um, I think that was yeah. the biggest transition piece is just starting anything new and feeling like you are alone or feeling like you can't relate to other people as easily as like your peers might. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's interesting to think about it actually in the, the, the similarities between moving from Honolulu to, to mainland, the mainland states, and then also going into to the world of in-house as well. How did you find that, um, obviously it's your first role and going in-house, how was that whole experience for you so far? It has been amazing. And I think, you know, don't get me wrong, the work is hard. Mm -hmm. Being an attorney of is course. not easy by any mm -hmm. means. But when I think about, you know, the conversations I have with my peers or even with people that are still in law school that reach out because they're interested in following a similar, similar path, um, mm -hmm. I realize how lucky I am to be where I am. So the transition from being a student to taking the bar exam to now being an attorney has been seamless in the sense that I feel supported where mm -hmm. I am now. I know people who graduated recently from law school who, you know, they started their jobs and they didn't have that support system where they, you know, they were floundering because that's what you do when you start any new job or any new thing, but they were floundering and didn't feel supported. And it's harder yeah. to be in that environment um, than to be in the one that I was in where, you know, everything was new, everything was hard, but mm -hmm. I was on a team that truly cared about each other. And when someone was going to go on vacation, for example, someone just went on vacation last week, uh, we all pitch in, we know we're going to cover for the person. And you know that when you come back, 
yeah, there's still going to be work to do. Yes, there's going to be something with urgency. However, you could have trusted that your team members are going to have done the things that they could to help you ensure that you can actually take some time off. And I guess bringing it back to, for example, the the post I saw you do um, on LinkedIn, which was beautiful, by the way, it'd be good to understand, you know, you mentioned you couldn't see anyone like yourself in the legal industry and the likes. And I guess for for your own word, they're maybe floundering a little bit when you when you moved over to the states, at the mainland states as well. It'd be good to understand a little bit more about that and, and the kind of in practical terms what what was going on in your mind and your thoughts and things like that. Yeah, I think it goes back to just what feeling like an imposter is, right? That mm-hmm. you just don't think you belong. So you could have gotten a position or you could have gotten the opportunity to move or to start something new and you get there and you're so excited about it. And when you start, it feels like you just don't belong there, that you got it by luck, you got it by chance, that you are only there because all of these other things went wrong and you were the last one standing, right? And I think that's just kind of been the trend is it has always felt like Um, at times, and it's usually when someone starts something new, like a new job, or you know, you start law school, that Mm -hmm. you are afraid of being found out as not knowing anything, or not Mm -hmm. being as skilled as your peers, or not being competent enough to do whatever it is that uh, you are there to do, or you just feel like you don't fit in. And Mm -hmm. you feel like the other in like the situation, you look around and you just don't think that you're right. Uh, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's a terrible internal feeling. It's it's cyclical. It's so hard to break. And it really can impact other areas of your life, right? You start a new job and you may feel that way in your job. Um, and then sometimes it starts to bleed over into your personal life. You th- start to think, oh, well, I didn't deserve that one accomplishment that I got two years ago um, that led to this new opportunity. Or, you know, I didn't deserve to get into whatever school it was or XYZ program that you had your eyes on and were working towards. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's the toughest part. Yeah, for sure. We're we're awfully hard on ourselves, I think, as, as humans, are we not? <laughs> and it's a little voice in our head, I think, that just continues, as you say, kind of cyclical. So have you, in your experience, has it, have you had kind of waves of imposter syndrome or has it been, how have you been dealing with it, I suppose? Yeah, um, I think it has been in waves. Um, you know, there are moments where I'm like, okay, I've been at this. I've done this five times now. I got this. I can do the next one, right? Because you get into a habit or you start to try to internalize and realize, okay, if I did it before, I can do it again. But as far as like dealing with it, it, it just, there are things that I've reflected on that I've done. And I, I guess I stopped realizing that those are like the tools that I've like relied on. But I think one of them that I like realize I've carried through with me for a very long time. Um, mm-hmm. And it seems silly when I describe it to people, but it's my method of reminding myself of the good things. I think it's really easy to hear something negative and then all you focus on for the next however long is that negative piece of feedback or that negative comment. And it mm-hmm. just pushes everything else to the side. Uh, so I have on my like desktop computer, just on my personal computer, on my work computer, and then in my email, I have a like what I call a happy folder, um, which seems silly, but it's like I, I, I move it. over any emails that like you know, was you did a great job on this or, you know, this went well and here's why or just notes from people that I have received or things that I've done that I'm really proud of. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I found that sometimes when I'm feeling 
really down and like, I can't do something or why am I here? I go back to that folder when I just need a friendly reminder that like Mm -hmm. things were fine and things are going to continue to be fine uh, no matter what my brain is trying to tell me otherwise. Um, So Mm -hmm. that's been helpful. And then, you know, it's easier said than done for sure. Uh, Yeah. But I'm trying to internalize the fact that I should not compare myself to other people and what they are achieving, right? What I'm seeing of my peers or people that I knew back in high school on Instagram or Facebook or whatever social media site it is, including LinkedIn, it's a highlight reel. It's what they chose to share because it's, it's really nice and it's great, but it's not the everyday. It's not all of the nitty gritty stuff that, you know, you don't know what's going on and just accepting that nothing and no person will ever be perfect. So, for as much as I've tried to get, nail everything on the first try <laughs> with a project or, um, you know, make sure I catch every single red line the first time I look at a contract, I'm going to have missed something and that's okay. And I can always go back mm-hmm. and keep working at it. But to think that no matter where I'm at in my career, you will nail everything on the first go is probably going to mm-hmm. build up too much anxiety that I don't need. Yes. Um, yes. I, yeah, I would certainly say so. <laughs> Definitely easier said than done, though. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and I imagine that's the case throughout your entire career, not even just in the in the early stages, actually. And and I guess maybe learning to to master that um, expectations of yourself early on is really important because you wouldn't want it to grow and grow as you develop through your career and have these even higher expectations, unrealistic expectations of yourself. I guess. Yeah, but on your sure. on your points of you know if you you'll you'll clutch to I guess as humans we have a negativity bias anyway mm-hmm. which is um a bit unfortunate so I think your your happiness happy folder is a a great idea to outweigh any small negative things that may happen in your day-to-day and I'm sure we blow them out of proportion in our minds as well I'm, I've no doubt about that and from your experience what are the because I've heard from from friends and and people in the legal industry as well that they have these kind of they're experiencing these kind of emotions or this this certain sense that they're feeling, but they haven't necessarily put a label on it. So, in your experience and in your opinion, what are the kind of signs and symptoms of imposter syndrome? Yeah, um, I think a lot of it goes to just reflecting on whether you're feeling a lot of self doubt and a lot of anxiousness. And does that self-doubt or that anxiousness stem from feeling like you are a phony and that at any at any point, someone is going to find you out as being a fraud? Are you afraid of being found out, essentially, that you don't b- belong where you are or that you only got there because of dumb luck or chance? Do you feel like, you know, you're not as competent as others perceive you to be? Do you doubt your own skills and accomplishments despite what other people are telling you you know Mm -hmm. someone could be singing you praises and you're just internally saying no that's that's definitely not true Mm -hmm. you know maybe stop and think that that might be it or do you think that you know you've fooled people into thinking that you're more skilled than you are and that's why you got to where you are um you know crediting successes or accomplishments or things that you've done to just luck to charm to Mm -hmm. other people just misjudging you and having this like absolutely out of proportion like idea of who you are um, Mm -hmm. or just basically chalking things up to anything other than you yourself and your abilities and then I think the last one would be 
just a fear that you will not live up to someone else's expectations, whether they are your own or family or friends or coworkers or your boss. You know, it's it's kind of creating this pathway um, towards feeling unworthy and feeling like you're just never good enough. Mm-hmm. And then you end up self-sabotaging yourself because you think you can't do something and other people believe you can and maybe they start to not give you opportunities or they start to you know, realize, okay, maybe they really just don't want to do the new project that I had in mind for them that would be a stretch goal, but I think they could do it. And, you know, it's good to kind of take a pause and see if that's what it is because you don't want to cut yourself off from those things by any means. The first step to better managing imposter syndrome is to identify whether you have it in the first place. Whether you think you might have it or you're just curious to find out, ask yourself these questions. Do you feel like you'll inevitably be found out as a phony? Do you downplay your own expertise, even in areas where you're genuinely more skilled than others? Do you attribute your success to luck and external factors? Do you agonize and worry over even the smallest mistakes in your work? And are you super sensitive to even constructive criticism? If you answered yes to any of these, then you potentially have imposter syndrome and you might want to think about taking some steps to better manage this feeling so it doesn't hold you back. Let's hear more from Sarah. And I feel like putting a label on it, I mean, I'm actually generally against labels normally, but in this instance, I feel like um, labeling that feeling is actually really useful because then you can realize that it's it is a real thing. You're not just, as you say, don't have the ability to do X, Y, or Z or anything. It's just a a common feeling that I I reckon a lot of people feel, especially in the the legal industry, I suppose, perhaps because it's quite an elite, um, or traditionally rather, quite an elite Mm -hmm. space, quite prestigious and the likes. And obviously you have to work very, very hard to, to succeed in law school and the likes. So do you think the, the kind of culture of legal, the legal world might impact how many people feel the sense of imposter syndrome? I think so. I think you, you kind of nailed it by describing the legal industry the way that it is. But I think if you look at any higher level like professional program, anything where you know you had to do something more to get there or you know that you're in the company of these high achieving people, that's probably where you're going to find it the most because you yourself only know your own pathway. You don't necessarily know the person next to you or the person in front of you, but you're going to think that they did all of these amazing things and that you didn't do them. So Mm -hmm. if they got here and your experience cannot compare to theirs, then do you deserve to be there? And I think that's unfortunate that like the legal industry is one where you're going to find a lot of people feeling like they are an imposter. Mm -hmm. There are going to be some people that actually speak about it, um, Mm -hmm. but there's going to be a lot more that don't because of that fear of being found out or, you know, feeling like saying it is going to make other people bring more attention to them and like realize something else about the person uh, or, you know, say so on and so forth. And it's it's unfortunate that you'll find it a lot in the illegal industry, but I have had peers uh, say that they have felt that way in their jobs, but they're faking it till they make it. They don't want to Mm -hmm. be seen as anything other than accomplished and high achieving Mm -hmm. and competent and knowledgeable because they think it's a weakness and they don't want to be weak. 
And mm-hmm. I think that's the toughest part. And you're going to find it in a lot of those industries. And, you know, my LinkedIn post went viral. And part of it was like, I was getting messages every day from people that are in the legal industry, in some other, you know, professional industry, or just people that were students. And they said, mm-hmm. you know, I feel this way. Thanks for saying something because I had a similar experience and I just never felt like anyone could resonate mm-hmm. with it. Yeah. So I just kind of suffered in silence. And that doesn't help anyone to suffer in silence because no good is going to come from that. Um, and on the point of, of your, your LinkedIn post, um, would you be able to tell people a little bit more about what you shared and the kind of the response that you received? You obviously touched a little on it there. Yeah. Um, so it kind of the why behind why I posted something on LinkedIn to begin with is I created a growth plan uh, with my GC at, at our startup. And she said, everyone on my team needs to come up with a growth plan. And one of them was I needed to work on speaking. I'm just, I'm terrible at it. I can, I've gone through life not being able to have like one-on-one conversations with people. Like it's, it's hard. Um, and mm-hmm. I keep working at it every day. And so, you know, I reflected on where you, I was you at. You never know now. <laughs> well, that makes me feel good. <laughs> Um, I like reflected on it and I said, okay, she told me share my story, right? Like work on that, start there. So I said, okay, I was up late working as one will, uh, in a startup, Mm -hmm. as you may know. (laughs) And I pressed post on a, on a LinkedIn post and it was a picture of me in kindergarten, uh, my actual kindergarten photo. And I was crying. You can visibly see that I look like probably one of the saddest children you will ever know. I probably was. And I just wouldn't stop crying. And in that post I'd shared, I cried every single day growing up. And that's, that's not a lie. I did cry every day, sometimes multiple times a day, even if I didn't have school. And I wouldn't talk. I uh, hid behind other people. You know, teachers just didn't know what to do with me. It was like, well, mm-hmm. what do you do with a kid that will not stop crying? And I, mm. I can't help. And so I was placed in special education. And, you know, it kind of sucks. As a parent, my parents were just like, What? you know, what do we do with this? Like, this is so difficult. And my parents have very high expectations. They're mm-hmm. high achieving people of like having this idea in mind of what we needed to do as mm-hmm. children. Uh, and I'm sure it adds to your imposter syndrome and your pressure. <laughs> yes, it, it starts yeah. with that, right? Um, yeah. There's some <laughs> external pressure going on. And so they just, they felt stuck. They didn't know how to help me either. And just kind of my post compared where I was then at five years old to where I am now, like five-year-old kindergarten me meeting who I am now would not, would run and cry in the corner because they were so intimidated (laughs) by this person. And yet I still cry, you know, like I'm an attorney, but I still cry and it's normal. And at the time I had shared that I recently had done a presentation for our company about trademark law, gave a deep dive about it, 15, 20 minute thing in front of our whole company on Zoom, but in front of our whole company, same thing. And it was just nerve-wracking it I was terrified and Mm -hmm. I did it and you know it was over and I felt great that it was over but leading up to it was definitely hard yeah I was just very grateful to see the growth that had happened and that I think the lesson for me was that at the end of the day you should take a chance on some of those kids or some of those people that maybe are not the loudest voice in the room um maybe not the most bubbly all the time or you know they're not the extrovert because you never know. Sometimes they're just waiting for somebody else to take a chance on them or to invest in them as a person. Um, Mm -hmm. And you could be that person. And just the response from that was amazing. I had Mm -hmm. parents, you know, commenting or sending me messages um, on not just LinkedIn, on other platforms saying like they felt so relieved 
because they have a child who is going through what I had outlined that I went through. Um, yeah. And they were worried for their child. They cons- they were concerned. What am I going to do? Are they going to be okay in life? Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of gave that reassurance. And then other people who are now professionals who went through a similar experience said, you're right. Like, I was that person. I am. I have a similar experience to you. And I made it. And I, I did what I could to get where I am. Um, mm-hmm. But it all is chalked up to, you know, just getting outside of your comfort zone, finding mentors that work for you um, mm-hmm. and help you become a better person. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, it certainly looks like you're doing better than okay. Thriving, I would say. You talked about there people giving you an opportunity, but it certainly sounds as well, like, as you say, getting outside of your your comfort zone. Do you think, what kind of role do you think risk has in the whole feeling of imposter syndrome? Um, Yeah. Oh, a lot. I think the hardest thing is when you're stuck in that cycle, um, I think you think that you're only capable of a certain amount of things, that you have to stay on this particular pathway, and that doesn't afford you the opportunity to take those chances. And I think that's wrong. I think that at some point, whether it's something very, very small, taking a risk now and then is going to help you because you never know what you're going to learn from that experience. I, I joke that like the risk that I took most recently, and this was like two months ago after like that post, was I mm-hmm. went to a networking event, which like in person, which, you know, after the past two years was kind of like novel. Uh, yeah. But I went to a networking event, which was risky for me because mm-hmm. I experienced a lot of social anxiety. So going into a room of people who I knew absolutely no one, um, mm-hmm. you know, didn't know anyone well, maybe met someone at one point, like two years ago, but in a new city. And all of them are these professional attorneys who went to law school. They're highly accomplished individuals. That was my risk, was going and trying to network or trying to meet someone new or trying to have that conversation. And, you know, I had thoughts in my head of like, why am I here? I should, I could, I could literally just leave right now. No one would notice. I could go back to my car and leave. But that was the risk I took. I stayed the whole time. I met great people. At some point, I did have the thought in my head of like, what do I do with my hands? Like, where, like, mm-hmm. do I hold the drink and food? Like, what, <laughs> you know, how do I navigate this? Um, but that was the risk I took, and it was great. You know, speaking on a podcast, that's another risk that like I mm-hmm. probably a couple years ago would have just said no. Like, I don't deserve that. But if you don't take a risk now and then you're going to be stuck in the same cycle even more and that doesn't help anything. Yeah, for sure. No, it's amazing. And and even posting on LinkedIn, I think as well, is it's out yeah. of a lot of people's comfort zone. And it's obviously, it feels like it's kind of built this great growth momentum for you as well. And it's been part of that growth journey for you. So, and I'm sure you sharing will help so many other people as well. So, so that's great. When it comes to the world of in-house legal what do you think it is about in-house um that's kind of helping you uh work through and overcome this this sense of imposter syndrome i think there are a few things uh when i think about it first and foremost and like it doesn't matter what industry you're in whether it's an in-house attorney or you're in private practice i think it starts with finding a good mentorship so finding a good mentor, and then eventually being a good mentor to someone else, right? Mm. Um, You need to find the people that are going to encourage you and push you to 
you know, take those risks, step outside of your comfort zone, who are going to guide you and people that you can trust. At the end of the day, if you find those good relationships and you really invest in them, you don't go to them saying, okay, I'm going to meet this person for the first time and I'm going to walk out of it with a job. That's not realistic. You're Mm going to crash and burn and that's going to be a horrible experience. But, you know, actually going into it and wanting to form a relationship with someone and building it and actually investing in it intentionally is going to help. I think being in-house when it relates to mentorship has been a lot easier. You work in a, like, a smaller team sometimes or just a larger team. But at the end of the day, you don't have, like, billable hours like a private practice does where, you know, you're trying to meet people. But at the same time, you're you're counting your time, right? You're trying to feel like I don't have as much time to spend on a person. Um, mm-hmm. So that's been helpful. I think our team is unique at, at Glowforge in that we read a leadership book every quarter. So the first leadership book that we read as a team when we all kind of first started together was The Culture mm-hmm. Code. Highly recommend if you are trying to build a team. But it goes to building culture and building a team to really help people in-house work on things like themselves or, you know, overcoming imposter syndrome. So, you know, trust and safety are huge. People, your people need to feel safe, psychologically safe, not necessarily physically safe, although that's important, in order to, you know, speak up and be their true selves and to be able to share their ideas and to be authentic and not have a front up or anything. And when people feel safe and feel like they can trust their team, they're going to be engaged and they're going to help others. And you're going to have this culture of, you know, when things are tough and chaotic, everyone feels united, even though mm-hmm. times are hard. And, you know, having that culture and having that team, Megan, our GC, uh, speaks on this all the time of like, when things are tough, things are chaotic, things feel like you shouldn't be investing in the glue, that's when you need to invest in your people the most. That's mm-hmm. when it matters the most. So I think having an in-house team kind of gives the opportunity to build that kind of culture, which is unique uh, to being Mm -hmm. in-house. And it's important, but you have to have someone, a leader who is going to invest in doing that. You know, that's important. And then I think, at least for me specifically, working in-house has helped me because I have a fantastic manager. You know, we meet weekly, which, you know, is what most people do with their manager, right? They meet regularly, which is important. But when I have struggled personally with like feeling like an imposter, because it comes and goes, right? It comes in waves. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember a couple weeks ago, I went to her and I said, I just, I need to apologize to you. I don't think I have accomplished anything since I've been here. And I feel terrible that I'm not pulling my own weight. And she just paused and said, okay, we're going to unpack that, you know, like Mm -hmm. put the work aside. I don't have a meeting. We're going to unpack this. Like, why do you feel that way? Please, like, if you can articulate it, let's let's work through it. And, you know, she talked to me and it was it was chalked up to feeling like an imposter again. So it was, you know, yeah. having that conversation to really dive back into, like, grounding myself. And yeah. she ended it, you know, on a good note. And then she was a, an amazing manager in that she followed up. She's busy and we're mm-hmm. all busy. But by the end of the day, she had sent me an email and said, I know that you're feeling this way and your feelings are valid because you are allowed to feel however you want to feel. But I looked back at everything that you've done and here are the list of things that we have done as a team or that you have done individually that could not have happened without you. And that felt nice, you know, like, and I looked at her list and I said, I I guess so. 
yeah, like when she puts it that way, sure, I did that. But it's about the people that are around you, whether it's your manager, if you have a support Mm -hmm. system outside of your team, uh, maybe in another team, like that's fine too. But I think the luxury of being in-house is that you just have more access to great people um, Mm -hmm. and people who want to be a part of that experience. How you can better manage and cope with a sense of imposter syndrome will be unique to you. For Sarah, having an email folder to collect and remind herself of all the positive impact she's had has really helped. To move past these feelings, you need to become comfortable confronting some of those deeply ingrained beliefs that you hold about yourself. This can be tricky, but here are a few techniques to help you out. Share your thoughts. Irrational beliefs and feelings tend to fester when they're kept inside. Assess your abilities. If you feel incompetent in some way, make a realistic assessment of your abilities. Then write down your accomplishments and what you're good at and compare this against your self-assessment. Challenge your thoughts. Question whether your thoughts are rational. Does it make sense to believe that you're a phony given everything that you know about yourself and your experience? Stop comparing. When engaging with other people, focus on listening to what they have to say and be genuinely interested in learning more. This helps detract from comparison. Reframe difference as a strength. Stop fighting the feelings of not belonging and instead try to lean into them and accept them. It's only when you acknowledge these feelings that you can start to unravel those core beliefs that are holding you back. Lastly, Refuse to let it hold you back. No matter how much you feel like you don't belong, don't let that stop you from pursuing your ambitions. You've got this. That's absolutely incredible, yeah. It certainly sounds like your manager is absolutely fantastic. And I think that's so important as well because, I mean, I've spoken to a lot of in-house legal lawyers um, and other professionals who are feeling a sense of imposter syndrome because it's either different from where they've come from, whether it be private practice, law school, different countries, etc. So it's certainly a a common feeling. And it sounds like, from what you're saying, and completely understandably, a large part of it is those softer skills to help kind of mentor and coach Mm -hmm. and enable empower your people to 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 work on themselves and accept what they're going through and unfortunately although increasingly I guess people are learning more of these softer skills at law school but it's certainly something I'm told needs um, a bit of work in the legal industry I would say (laughs) whether that be leadership or kind of Mm -hmm. communication and everything like that so yeah it's brilliant to hear that it sounds like You'll be learning from from someone brilliant as well. So that's always always a plus. I know we spoke about um, your happy folder and the likes. Are there any other kind of ways that you've been able to, to manage this feeling either when you first moved over to the mainland states or now in-house? Um, do you have any other tips, tools, exercises that you do regularly just to keep yourself grounded, as you say? You know, something that I do often <laughs> is or you know I I have a partner we met in law school so he's seen me kind of through all the waves right so he's helped me kind of when I felt overwhelmed to do this if I'm you know not by myself but Mm -hmm. to ask questions you know why are you feeling the way that you're feeling uh what is the reason is it because someone told you that you 
didn't do something, you know, that you don't have XYZ quality? Or is it because you're just feeling that way from a vibe that you got? Like, that you saw someone wrinkle their eyebrow just a little bit, and you thought that that meant they didn't trust you, or they didn't believe Mm -hmm. that you were knowledgeable, right? Was that why? Or is there something more? Is there something concrete to base this off of? Um, And just asking those types of questions, like figuring out why it is that you're feeling the way that you are to unpack it, right? To at least get to the point where you realize, okay, maybe there's not a basis for this. Maybe I'm just feeling overwhelmed. And it's not that I feel like someone thinks I'm dumb. Okay, well, if you feel overwhelmed, what can we do about it, right? Um, Is it that you're feeling overwhelmed with work and your personal life? If that's the case, then maybe it's time to figure out and reprioritize things, right? Maybe you don't need to go to all five events that you have with your friends this weekend. Uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe you just need time for yourself. And I think the second thing would be to invest in yourself and know that if you personally are not okay, things might just get worse because you're not taking care of yourself. Um, And I think it goes to the, the trend that we're seeing just across the board now, right? Everyone is prioritizing their mental health and their well-being because it's important. You know, my parents, when they were working, that was not at all like a priority for them because for their generation, it just wasn't. That's not what you did. But now people are realizing, you know, if you're not mentally and emotionally okay, it's going to bleed into other things. Um, Mm. So that's been like something that I focused on is, you know, I've, I've found that a lot of the times when I felt like an imposter, it's because I felt stressed and overwhelmed. Okay, well, did I take any time for myself that week? No, I probably work till 10 p.m. every night. Okay, well, then at that point, maybe doing something for yourself here and there is really important. And then I think another one is just talking to people helps, whether that is a therapist, whether that – and there's no stigma against that. Like, people mm-hmm. think that you shouldn't be talking to, you know, a mental health professional, but it's okay to, and it's okay yeah. to know that it's okay to. Um, I think it would benefit your manager, every single person to, in the world. <laughs> yeah, like, it's just – it's. I don't know. It's it's weird growing up with that stigma and now you're trying to unpack that yourself, right? But like, it's okay. Talk to your manager, talk to your friends, talk to your family, what, whoever your people are, talking to them helps. And then I think the last thing is just as much as it's important to invest in yourself and to find people to invest in you, uh, I think it does help with like overcoming imposter syndrome to start investing in others. You know, find those opportunities to either share your story or to work with other people who might have had who want to follow your path or something like that it it helps put things into perspective Um, within our team I oversee our externship program so I make sure that our current law students that are working with us have a good experience I help shape what their experience looks like and that has personally been helpful for me to realize wow like I have so much more to add to their Mm -hmm. experience and like can give them feedback that a year ago I don't think I would have felt comfortable doing. So Mm -hmm. investing in other people also helps. Yeah, that's great advice. Absolutely love it. (laughs) And and then how do you feel now, now that you've kind of gone through this journey? And of course, you're still on a journey as we as we all are. But how do you feel about putting yourself in these situations now where you you can probably guess that you will feel um, some imposter syndrome? How? Yeah. How do you feel about that? And what what? What are your hopes for for the future? Well, I would be like lying if I said that everything is great now and I can do absolutely (laughs) anything uh, because it's totally not true. (laughs) Um, I still feel terrified 
still feel anxious. I am realizing though that I think just who I am as a person based on how I grew up and all of those things, like those feelings aren't really going to go away. They might lessen time to time, Mm -hmm. but they're not going to ever fully go away. And I just have to accept it. But in those moments, I just, you know, I try to reflect and use some of those like things that I mentioned. Like I look at my happy Mm -hmm. folder. I talk to my manager. I talk to my partner. I talk to my mentor. I get their advice. Like whatever it was that I, you know, had said previously that I've done, like I still do. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And I, yeah, it just comes up to that or uh, Megan, my GC, she was on your podcast before. I know she talked about kind of what she looks for in building a team, right? Mm-hmm. It's not it's not having a team of people with 30 years of experience each. That's not necessarily going to be conducive to the in-house environment now. But it's about having a team of people who they may not know something, but they have the tools or they are able to figure it out. That's what's mm-hmm. more important, right? And it's that. It's knowing that if I did – if I researched this niche like problem for our company four months ago and I'm asked to do something completely different, come up with this absolutely new process that we've never had before, even though it's different, I can do it and I can figure it out because I did something hard before. I think that's like it goes back to, you know, what she said of like just finding people who are going to be willing to stick it out and yeah, get through the hard challenges and do what they got to do to do it. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's a great, great approach. Having the confidence in yourself that you will figure it out. That's that's all we can all do in work and in life, I think. (laughs) So yeah, that makes total sense. Amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I I don't know if you have any parting advice for anybody who's experiencing um, imposter syndrome at the moment or any final remarks on, on anything we've touched on. I don't. I don't think so. I think the only thing I would say is no matter what you do, uh, whether you are a doctor, whether you are a teacher, whether you are an attorney, the work is always going to be hard and challenging because you don't go into the industry that you do thinking it's going to be easy. But what's more important is finding people that are on your team or that you want to be around that you can trust, people that you can rely on, and people that when things are hard, they will make it easier for you in the sense that they are your support system. They can be your knowledge base um, or they're just there for you. And I think it's important and I've realized, I'm lucky to have realized early on in my career that that's what's important. It's not about what you're doing, it's about who you're with. Um, And Mm -hmm. I'm very fortunate that where I'm at, at Glowforge and with my team, they are incredible people. They are superstars. And it's, I hope and wish that everyone can find that for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic advice. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your your whole story. I have no doubt that it'll be super beneficial um, to lots of people listening. As I said, regardless of their background, lots of people are feeling this um, from the conversations I've had in the legal community anyway and of course further afield as well for sure so thank you for sharing and I I hope to hear more from you on other podcasts more LinkedIn posts I look forward to hearing more from you (laughs) no thank you so much Steph for inviting me and for the time flew so that's always nice good (laughs) sign right yeah for sure no that's perfect thank you